Well, good morning, Trinity Church. And good morning to you folks online. What's up? We're so glad you're uh, tuned in with us this morning. We're delighted to have you here. Thank you for being here. We want to start out by having some old friends come up and talk about some of the work that they're doing. Rick and Kathy, you might, we might be familiar to some of the folks, but maybe some of the folks don't um, know you. So, do you have a microphone? Oh, you got the microphone. Good. Could you just tell us a little bit about who you guys are? Well, uh, we're Rick and Kathy Hicks. We uh, used to attend church here. We lived in this area for about 20 years. And in 1996, uh, we were asked to join Operation Mobilization. I started off as the president. First day I showed up, the lady at the switchboard knew more about missions and OM than I did. So uh, it was a steep learning curve. And uh, OM, basically, we work around the world. We work in about 110 countries. We have about 6,000 missionaries, and we exist to establish vibrant communities of Jesus followers uh, among the least reached. And maybe you haven't heard of OM because you probably don't live among the least reached. And so a lot of the countries we work in help to resource what's going on, and a number of the countries, particularly in the Middle East, North Africa, and all around Africa, that's where we do a lot of our work. And it is just to get the word, the gospel. This is a vibrant community of Jesus followers Amen. right here. You're vibrant. You like it. People see that in your life, and then all of a sudden they become believers, and they start off their own things, and we just see that happening around the world time and time and time again. That's what we do. One of the main areas of focus that we have right now happens to be in Africa. And uh, Kathy, when she gets asked her question, is going to tell you a little bit more specifically about what's going on there. Fantastic. Fantastic. How exciting. Uh, we kind of are touching on disability a little bit today. It's not exclusively about disability, but it's perfect that we have someone like Kathy here who has a real passion for uh, work with individuals with disability. And I know specifically, Kathy, you're, you guys are involved with some work through the Bethesda ministry in Africa. Could you tell us a little about that? Yes. Um, Rick and I get to visit a lot of teams and people and leadership conferences around the world, but rarely do we get to hand, do hands-on ministry. But with Bethesda, that was different. We actually have been hands-on with them. And uh, they're in Zambia, Bethesda Mercy Ministries. And in Zambia, like so many places around the world, people with disabilities, whether they were born with them or through accidents, are considered to be cursed. People believe witchcraft is involved and they are shunned. They're hidden away. Marriages break up over it. A lot of disabled people are hidden away in homes being cared for by mothers or grandmothers that have no no source of income. They're rarely fed. They're rare, never educated. And so Bethesda Ministry, um, wanted to help solve this problem. They wanted to get the word out that people with disabilities are uh, created and loved by God, Amen. just like everybody else. And so one of the ways they are, they're doing this in a lot of different ways. They do this by finding these people, sharing the love of God with them and their families, um, educating communities about the value of people with disabilities, helping them with practical things like sometimes getting the right equipment or getting a surgery helps them live life more effectively and also helping um, families create income for themselves so they can be more um, sustainable and take care of them. But they also start a school for special needs kids of all different levels. Um, and when they age out, they teach them life skills to help them get on their feet to actually be able to support themselves. And so I just want to tell one quick story about that they recently shared in a, a newsletter I just received uh, about a, a woman named Aline who was not disabled until she was crossing a road and got hit by a car, mm. hit and run. They didn't stop. They didn't take her to the hospital. 
someone eventually did. She ended up being in the hospital for three months and lost her right leg wow. through the experience. She didn't have any family in the area, so she went back to where her relatives were in a village. And when she got there with her crutches, with her missing leg, they, a mob beat her up because they were afraid she was bringing bad luck and, and a curse to their village. And so someone rescued her, brought her back to Kabwe, which is where our Bethesda ministry is based. And they um, shared the love of God with her. Um, they, um, she came to know Christ. Praise the Lord. They were able to get her an artificial leg. She's now attending a church, and they're helping her to find ways to support herself. And so that's just an example of how it works there and what they're doing. Well, I know in particular with the, uh, yeah, with the Advent Conspiracy, there's a particular ministry that we're focusing on, which is absolutely critical, and that is the development of this integrated school. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes, a big part of what Bethesda is trying to accomplish is to change the mindset of the society in Zambia and other parts of the world. They're reaching out to other places in Africa, too. And they feel like one great way to do this is an integrated school where the disabled children are side-by-side side studying with the uh, fully able-bodied uh, children and so that everybody is getting a good education but they're also getting to know each other they're realizing they're fun people too they like to play also they can play in certain ways and just to um, dispel the myths associated with disabilities and to normalize um, people with disabilities as people will value too amen this is a big deal. This is a big deal. These kinds of places, particularly in a place like Africa, we struggle with it in America with integrated schools, particularly in a place like Africa. This is a big deal. Can I pray for you guys? Yes. Lord Jesus, I'm so grateful for the heart that you've given these folks. And uh, there is a ton of work to be done in, within your Christian community, Lord, relative to individuals with disabilities, and that you put this on Rick and Kathy's heart. They're ahead of the curve, Lord. I pray that you would give them favor, I pray that these schools would kind of be a, a foothold uh, in these places um, where the Christian church is actually loving its neighbor, loving people with disabilities as they should. So would you bless their work, Lord? Help us as a congregation to be generous to the things that they're doing as well. Um, thank you for them, and, and I pray your continued protection and blessing on them. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I got to tell you that um, I, I get to speak in a lot of different places around the world. Um, and usually when I speak, um, I mention the sovereignty of God, but I'm going to kind of really go hard after the sovereignty of God right now. And there's a lot of unpacking that I want to do. And I need to tell you that understanding the sovereignty of God is something that is not necessarily easy. Um, and so our I want us to help, I'm going to tell you the truth about what this is, and I want to kind of help you to understand it for yourself, because all of us are going to go through times when we struggle with our life experience. But I also want to encourage you to say, if you're not struggling with your life experience right now, you need to reach out to help people who are struggling with their life experience. So we're going to talk about two things here this morning. We're going to talk about sovereignty of God in the terms of the way that we can help others. And we're going to talk about the sovereignty of God in the way that we can understand ourselves a little bit and seek the Lord in that. I love how uh, Pastor Todd every week has a now watch statement. Um, it's kind of like, okay, I know where you're going, Pastor Todd. And then he unpacks it all. It's beautiful. 
Well, our now watch statement for today is the Bible verse Proverbs 3.5. And I got a lot of folks from Light and Power in this group who know Proverbs 3.5, so I want you guys to say it with me. Remember, it says, trust in the Lord. You ready? Here we go. Let's say it. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. Um, it's interesting. If I can trust, if I can trust that God became a man, came to earth, died for my sins, rose from the dead, uh, is preparing a place for me in heaven, and I get to be with him someday, that's a lot to trust. If I can trust God with that, the question is, can I trust him with the experiences of my life and the people who are around me as well? That's what we're hoping to be able to do. Well, I want to start by talking a little bit about God's sovereignty itself, or responding to God's sovereignty. As a basic understanding within the Christian faith, we understand that God is in control. God, that's what we mean by we say that God is sovereign. God is in control, right? So the things we see around us, they have either been orchestrated by God, God has caused them to occur, or minimally, he has permitted them to occur. If things happen outside of God's control, then God is not sovereign. So God either causes things to occur or permits them to occur. And that in itself is hard to understand when we see some of the things that are around us and how we respond to them. But our response, once again, is our now what statement. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. You are never going to understand God's purposes. There are, we get glimpses of it. It's cool when we get glimpses and see purposes in the things that happen around us. But we, are, we do not have the mind of God. We do not have the understanding of God. So we just have to trust him with all our heart. And that can sometimes be really, really difficult. One of my favorite authors and favorite movies is The Lord of the Rings. You guys might have known or read The Lord of the Rings, seen the movie the books are better than the movie. I'm one of those people, right, who does, likes the books and doesn't like the movie so much. But there's this, in that story, in case you're unfamiliar, there is this ring that is all-powerful. And if, if, if the good guys can destroy this ring, it'll totally defeat the bad guy, who's this horrible big bad guy. And so this one guy, Frodo, is carrying this ring. And the thing that happens when you carry this ring is it totally degrades you you start to fall under the power of the ring and you can't give it up, right? You can't give it up. Well, these guys are trying to take this ring and dump it into this big fire where it would destroy it, right? So you have these two characters, Sam, who in, in my opinion is the hero of the Lord of the Rings. You have this guy, Sam, and his master who's Frodo. And Sam is trying to help Frodo get this ring to this place. And then there's this phrase here, this section here. Can we see it? Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Sam says to Frodo, come, Mr. Frodo, he cried. I can't carry it, the ring. I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you and it as well. So up you get. Come on, Mr. Frodo, dear. Sam will give you a ride. Frodo opened his eyes and drew a breath. Thank you, Sam, he said in a cracked whisper. How far is there to go? I don't know, said Sam, because I don't know where we're going. You know, it's interesting. This is a beautiful way to illustrate how we carry others. 
Uh, this, the Bible is, it's, it's sad, but it's almost funny at times in the way the Bible illustrates how we should not carry another person's, uh, what they're facing with the sovereignty of God. If you look at the book of Job, right? Job experiences all these horrible things. His wife's response is, curse God and die. I don't recommend that that is how we respond <laughs> to people who are going through a difficult time in their lives. I've heard people say that was Satan's nuclear option, curse God and die. But we also see in that passage that Job's friends come alongside of him and basically say, you must have done something wrong for this to happen to you. You know, uh, we, it was mentioned here by uh, Kathy about how that occurs in all different places, that if you experience hardship or disability, it's people think that there's something wrong that you have done. In academic circles, there's actually a name for this. It's called the moral model of disability. And that in a lot of places in the world, if you experience hardship and disability, it's your fault. You must have done something that was wrong. The scripture does not teach that at all, not even a little bit. But when we get back to how the way we should carry other people, there's some critical points that I love from this little passage from the Lord of the Rings. We don't know where we're going, right? We don't know where we're going. If you're experiencing cancer, I wanna come alongside of you and carry you, but I don't know where you're going. You may be going to healing or you may be going to visit to see the Lord. I don't know where you're going. My response is to carry you. Our responsibility is to carry those around us who are facing difficulty in their lives. Well, how do we carry people? I'm glad you asked that because that's what I'm talking about this morning is how do we carry people? The first thing we can do is we can pray for change. One of the verses we memorized in Light and Power is, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There will we receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. Grace is a key word for us to understand. God says, we're gonna come back to it later too. God says he will give us grace. What is grace? Grace is favor. Grace is kindness. Grace is divine assistance and help. If we go to Lord boldly in prayer, he says he will give us grace. It's interesting um, in terms of thinking about how we carry others. We have the story of Jesus in the garden. It, in Mark 14, 35, 36, it says, talking about Jesus, he went a little further and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it were possible, the awful horror awaiting him might pass him by. Sorry for the typos. Might pass him by. Abba, Father, he called out. Everything is possible for you. Please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Do you hear that? I want your will to be done in my suffering. There's an implication of purpose there. We see the suffering of Jesus, and because we know how it's all worked out, somehow it makes our, his suffering almost easier to accept because we see that there's purpose in it. But sometimes we can see the purpose in suffering, but very often we can't. We can't. And so our reliance on God is all the thing we have. We trust in the Lord with all our heart and don't lean on our own understanding because we can't see God's purpose. But we can suffer with others. There's ways in which we can suffer with others. In 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about the body of Christ and it says, when one part suffers, all the parts suffered with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. Can I tell you something? We've gotten better, but this is not true. 
there are people with disabilities in our community who are absolutely socially isolated and would benefit from you coming alongside of them and suffering with them. We got to do better in this area. We got to do better in this area. In 1 Peter 2, it also talks about if you suffer for doing good and endure it, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it meant suffering. Another version says, if you suffer for doing good, you were called to this. We are called to suffer for doing good. Even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He's your example. You got to follow in his steps. We are suffered, we are, excuse me, we are called to suffer for doing good. Like I say, I get to speak all over the place. And I was in the Dominican Republic one time, and this woman came up to me and she goes, help me understand the suffering for doing good. She goes, I have a neighbor who has mental illness. And sometimes with her mental illness, she's lovely, and I kind of interact with her. And other times she's hostile and even violent. What am I supposed to do? And my response is, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do. If you suffer for loving that woman who experiences mental illness, you were called to that. You were called to that, to come alongside of people for whom the sovereignty of God is difficult and help to share in their suffering. It's interesting, too, even in thinking about how we come alongside and help others by carrying them. Jesus himself gave an example of how he wanted to be helped. If you look at the passage, there's several different uh, uh, books of the Bible, uh, the Gospels, sorry, that talk about this whole situation where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before he's about to be betrayed, in, in these situations, Jesus says this, he told them, particularly Matthew, uh, excuse me, ex particularly Peter, James, and John, his three uh, most close uh, associates, uh, all right, slow down, his three um, dearest disciples, right? He tells them, my soul is crushed to the point of death. Jesus is having a hard time here. He knows what's ahead, and he even knows the purpose in what's ahead. But he says, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus is saying, this is how I want to be carried right now. Right? This is how I want to be carried. But it says he came back twice and they were sleeping. Finally, in Mark 14, it says when he returned a third time, he said, go ahead and sleep, have your rest. You got to wonder, what difference would it have made if Jesus came back and saw these three disciples weeping and begging God for, for, uh, to take this cup from the Lord and whatever. I don't know that he would have taken it, but Jesus would have probably broken down in tears of joy to see this kind of support that he asked for. But what happens instead? Luke 22 says, an angel strengthened him. An angel had to strengthen him. Why? Maybe because the people he was hoping to strengthen him, the closest disciples were falling asleep and didn't carry him in his most difficult time. Another thing that we can do to help carry people is to help them to hold on to their faith. You know, when, when we are faced with hard times and suffering, fill in the blank what the suffering could be, it can cause us to question God and potentially lose our faith. There's an amazing kind of section in the scripture that someone uh, showed me at one point that I've really thought a lot about that I want to show you just to give you an indication of how hard life can be. In Matthew 11, 2 to 3, 
John the Baptist was in prison. Okay, John the Baptist was in prison. Um, we know the story. He's going to be in prison for a while, and then this drunken king is going to kill him. So John probably sees the future. He, he probably, I mean, without having to be some sort of special person, he sees what's going to happen to him ultimately. So he's in prison. John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to Jesus. Listen what John the Baptist tells his disciples to ask Jesus. Are you the Messiah that we've been expecting? Or should we be looking for someone else? Wow. Think about that. Think about that. Suffering can cause us to, to go to places in our minds that we never would go to if suffering didn't occur. I want to unpack this a little bit. John's life is not going as he expected it. So let's unpack this a little bit. It's interesting for us to think about who John the Baptist is. May not, maybe everybody in the audience doesn't know who John the Baptist is. It's interesting to think about who he was a little bit. You know, we, at this time of the year, we get excited about the Christmas songs and the Handel's Messiah and unto us a child is born and he's going to be a wonderful counselor and all these amazing things. But we also got to recognize, that was Isaiah uh, 9, we also got to recognize in Isaiah 53 that God also predicted that Jesus is going to be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He's going to be like a lamb led to the slaughter. Well, John was predicted too. John's life was predicted long before he was born. In the Old Testament, Isaiah 40 says, uh, 43 says, He was a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. So God knew who John was going to be before he was born. Then the angel Gabriel, angel Gabriel of all the angels, right? Not some second-tier angel. We got Gabriel going to his father Zechariah and says about John, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the way for the coming of the, prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children. He will cause those to be rebellious uh, to accept the wisdom of the godly. So I can imagine John Baptist is growing up and his parents are saying, you know, dad got it wrong when the angel talked to him and he couldn't talk for a while, but, but you were predicted. You're the one the Bible's talking about. You're going to be this special person. His whole time he's growing up, I'm confident he's hearing these kinds of things about who he is. You were even predicted in the Old Testament. Before I move on and continue about John, do you think that God only knows about the future of the lives of like very, very special people like Jesus and John the Baptist? Or you think maybe he knows about your life too? My, my friends in Light and Power says, yeah, he knows about my life too. And you are correct. But it's important to remember that. It's important to remember that. God knows your life just as well as he knew the life of Jesus and John the Baptist. Let's continue talking about who this amazing person was that John the Baptist was. My goodness, John the Baptist baptized Jesus, right? In John 1, it says, John testified, I saw the Holy Spirit descending like a dove from heaven and resting on him. I didn't know he was the one, but God sent me to baptize with water. And he told me, though God told him, God spoke to him, right? He told me, the one whom you see the Spirit descend and rest on is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And John says, I saw this happen to Jesus. 
So I testify that he is the chosen one of God. And if that's not enough, he baptizes Jesus and all of a sudden it's like out of heaven. Oh my gosh, you are my, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. John saw this too after he baptized Jesus, right? We keep going. It's interesting how Jesus affirms John. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, I tell you the truth of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. So not only did John see all these things, his life was predicted. Jesus says he's the greatest man who ever lived. And then, then we go back to, 11, to Matthew 11, 2, 3. Are you the one or should we expect somebody else? That's how far suffering can take us. Think of the example of John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived. That's how far suffering can take us. If suffering could take the greatest man who ever lived to where he's questioning all these things that he knows, it can happen to you. It can happen to you. And that's why we need to support each other. When we support each other, we help each other to be obedient. We help each other not to lose our faith. When someone's hurting, we can be afraid and want to distance ourselves. Our alternative intuition should be when someone is suffering in any reason, we need to go to that person, minimally so that we can help them to hold on to their faith, which is being tested by the suffering that they're going through. It's interesting, Jesus's response to John. I love Jesus's response to John. If you go to the next slide and then come back to this one, it's interesting. You remember when Jesus is at the very start of his ministry and he stands up in the temple and he reads the passage um, and says, this happened in your hearing today. You remember that? What Jesus said is it's what's on the screen here. The Lord, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor will come. So this is how Jesus announced his ministry. Okay, go back to the previous slide, please. Look at what Jesus says to John. He doesn't tell him something new that he didn't know before. It's not kind of like, oh, in the midst of your suffering, hey, there's something I forgot to tell you. Let me tell you this that I didn't tell you, sorry. Jesus says, go back and tell John, uh, tell him, excuse me, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured. The death here, the, I got another typo here. The dead are raised to life and the good news is being preached to the poor. What does Jesus say to John? He tells John the things he already knows. He reminds John about the things that he already knows. John hasn't forgotten these things, but his suffering has caused them to move away from him and question them. So the first thing Jesus does to support this greatest man who ever lived who's struggling is to remind him of what he already knows. But then I love this other part too. It's kind of like Jesus is kind of giving him a little, little bit of a poke in the side. He says, and he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me, who do not fall away. So on the one hand, we encourage what we people know. And in the other hand, we give this little poke of encouragement saying, come on, this is not who you are. You, you can do this. God will be with you to help you do this. So he reminds him of what he knows and he chides him not to lose his faith. 
Number four, how do we carry others? We change. We change. When people with suffering are in our lives, are in our churches, we can't do things the same way we've always done them. We've got to change in order to accommodate those people. And oftentimes we in the Christian church, we don't want to change because we look at our traditions and we look at what it would cost to love our neighbor and oftentimes we say, I think I'll hold to my traditions. There's a passage in Matthew, excuse me, in uh, Mark 8 about this. I'm not going to go into it, but Jesus talks very specifically about how we reject uh, the commands of God in favor of our traditions. But a passage I want to pull out here is from uh, 1 Corinthians 12. This is the passage about the body of Christ that you've heard, to, heard many times before. Listen to what Paul says. He says, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Disability, suffering can cause us to seem to be weaker. Those people are indispensable to us. There could be a whole variety of reasons as why, but those people are indispensable. We need them with us because of the changes that they bring. And the parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we treat those with special honor. What does special honor mean? I can't treat you with the same, if you're someone with, say, with, uh, for example, say autism or something like that, I can't treat you with the same honor that I treat other people. You're going to need some special honor. I'm going to have to change to do things differently so you experience love and support and so forth. Families of people with disabilities, I can't give you the same honor. I got to give you special honor in the way that I come alongside and love and support you, right? We're getting better at this at the church. And I'm not talking about the church here, Trinity. I'm talking about the whole church and the whole doggone world. I'm condemning the entire church and the whole world. We're getting better at this, but we have a long way to go because we value our traditions too much over loving our neighbor and doing the things that would be required to carry our neighbors who are experiencing suffering. Well, let's think a little bit about re responding to God's sovereignty in ourselves, right? So I see other people, I see ways I can come alongside and Lord willing, I can carry them. And I, I mean, I can't stop your cancer, but I can be with you in your cancer, right? I can't stop the other things that you experience, but I can be with you in them and try to share that and carry you. Well, how do I respond to when the sovereignty of God is hard in myself, in myself? Well, once again, that same verse that we saw earlier, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it most. We will get God's grace. God's, I mean, the scripture says elsewhere, I will not give you anything that you can't handle. Nothing that has happened to you is something that's uncommon to people. You're experiencing the same kinds of things other people have experienced. Back again to that passage in um, Mark about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me read it again. He said, it went a little farther and fell to the ground. He prayed that if it was possible, the awful horror awaiting him might pass him by. Abba, Father, he cried out. Jesus says, everything is possible for you. Right? When we pray to God about the suffering we're experiencing or other people experiencing, it's not like we're praying to our government, which is kind of weak at a lot of times. We're praying to the, to the person who has the ability to change any doggone thing that could be out there. Jesus says, everything is possible for you. And he tells us to come boldly 
to the Lord and pray. If you're suffering right now about some reason, some, something in your life, come boldly to the Lord because he is the one for whom everything is possible in terms of changing your situation. But we see once again, take this cup of suffering from me, yet Jesus says, I want your will to be done and not mine. Do you hear what Jesus is saying there? If God's will is that he goes through this suffering, it implies purpose. It implies purpose. And purpose changes things, right? That the horrors that happened to Jesus, purpose changes them from bad to hard. Do you follow that? It's an overstatement. But Jesus, it changes things. Were these things hard and horrible? Yes, but they had to occur because there was purpose behind them. And it changes things when God has purpose behind the experiences that we face. They then go to Paul. It's interesting, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 talks about the fact, oops, sorry, I tried to track my time here. Come on. Just talk among yourselves for a minute. Uh, there it is, okay. <laughs> um, Paul, same thing with Paul, right? Paul in 2 Corinthians talks about how he has this thorn in his flesh, right? And he says three times, three different times, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 8, 9, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away from me. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. Once again, favor, blessing, kindness. This is beautiful. God promises his grace and he promises it'll be sufficient. My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. And it's almost like Paul hears that and says, oh, I get it. So now I'm glad to boast in my weaknesses. Why? So the power of Christ can work through me. Paul sees the purpose, right? God's power is made perfect in weakness. You know, we got that backwards. We think God's power is made perfect in strength. It's not. It's not. You know, the whole thing of our, of our desire for independence and thinking we're independence, it is a complete mirage. It's absolutely untrue. We are completely dependent upon the Lord. But sometimes it takes suffering to open our eyes up to that. That's what happened with Paul. He says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in. Listen to what he takes pleasure in. Weakness, insult, hardship, persecutions, troubles. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. When I'm weak, now I have to lean on the Lord. I can't live in this mirage that I'm independent and self-sufficient. When I'm weak, that takes me to the place where I say, I have to understand the reality of where I am and I have to rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. And once again, Paul wasn't healed, right? Jesus prayed, wasn't healed. Paul prayed, wasn't healed. Sometimes God will use your healing to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes God will use a miracle to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes his purposes are only achieved through um, other things that happen like suffering. One of my favorite Bible stories is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's where the story where they got delivered, right? I love that story. It's interesting, they were, if you don't know the story, the king set up this golden statue and said, everybody's got to bow down to it. 
And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego basically said, nope, not going to do that. And so they get to, taken before the king. And he's threatened he's going to throw him into a fiery furnace. And I love the sovereignty of God as expressed in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is Daniel 3, verse 17, 18. If we are thrown into that blazing, they're talking to the king. If we're thrown into that blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. One way or another, right? He's either going to save them from that or they're going to burn to death. And will, they will be with the Lord. But I love this, verse 18. But even if he doesn't, right? They had a real understanding of who God was. They were living under his purposes. Even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty. We will not serve your gods or worship the image of the God that you have set up. I love that. So what happens? This is, this is one of the beautiful things. I love this story. So this high officers and officials and governors and visors crowd around because they threw them in the fiery furnace and they saw the fire hadn't touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed. Their clothing was not scorched. And I love this. This is the Lord showing off. They didn't even smell like smoke. I love that. I love that. They didn't even smell like so smoke. God delivered them. And we love that story when we hear about God delivering. But once again, God will accomplish his purposes. He does not always deliver. I was just doing my, my little personal Bible study the other day. I was looking at the, um, looking at the book of uh, uh, Revelation. And I ran across this passage in Revelation. Then a white robe was given to each of them. These are the martyrs who are in heaven. A white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until, listen, the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus who were to be martyred had joined them. You see the purpose there? There is a number of people who will be martyred for the Lord Jesus. And apparently hadn't reached that number yet. What does that tell once again? There is purpose in the things that, the God, that God does in the suffering sometimes we face. A couple more things quickly. Time's catching up with me. What else can we, uh, can we uh, do in ourselves? We can think about what can be learned from our suffering. One of the most amazing verses in the Bible is this Hebrews 5.8 verse. It says, even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. Now, I don't think Jesus was a disobedient guy who needed to learn obedience. And so as I researched this, I was thinking, what the heck is this about? And some of the, the, the um, commentators that they read said that through his suffering, he experienced obedience, right? He experienced obedience. Suffering can challenge our obedience. Jesus went through incredible suffering. He asked that it be taken away. So Jesus did not now just intellectually as the Lord understand suffering and obedience from observing it. He understood it from experiencing it. Isn't that, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. When you're suffering, you can speak to the Lord and say, you know how I feel. You were there. You learned about obedience through the suffering. Would you help me? to learn that experience of obedience through suffering. And then once again, I've mentioned it, I won't say it again, but we learn dependence. Once again, we recognize that, you know, our notions of being independent 
are a, they're, a, they're a mirage. They're a lie. We are dependent. And sometimes it's only, I was going to share the song, uh, the, what is it, the Live Like You Were Dying song, that old country music song you might have heard. When you, when you understand and you're going through these difficult times, all of a sudden you recognize what's important. You love better. You forgive better, right? You become a better person oftentimes when you go through this suffering. Very last thing I want to say. God bless you guys. This is hard, and I, and I don't want to come across as sharing something glibly. I, I mean, I, I understand. Just look at the world, and you understand how hard it is to trust God in the midst of suffering. But we need to trust God in the midst of suffering. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. Once again, the now what statement, like Pastor Todd does. Our response to suffering in our lives and in the lives of others is to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding because you will not understand largely. But in all your ways, if you acknowledge him, he's gonna make your path straight. He's gonna make your path straight. If the sovereignty of God, so last comment, if the sovereignty of God for you is not difficult at this time in your life, then reach out to those for whom it is difficult and carry them. We need to find a way to find those people so we can come alongside of them and carry them, right? If, it's, if, you, if the sovereignty of God is easy for you right now, it'll be hard in the future and you'll be wanting people carrying you. If it's easy for you right now, reach out and find someone that you can carry. But if the sovereignty of God is difficult for you, the answer is to ask God to help you to trust him. Ask God to, to, to help you to trust him. God loves you. God loves you more than you can imagine. Ask God to help him to trust you. So one more time, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your paths straight. Well, let me say a prayer, please. Lord Jesus, this is hard for us. I even get the impression when I see you in the Garden of Gethsemane, you understand it was hard for you. You asked your father to take it away. But we're grateful, Lord, that, that he did not take it away that you went through that suffering because of the impact it has on us. Oh my gosh, Lord. We are sinners and we need to be made right with God and we have no hope. But as Romans 3.22 says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We, are made, we have the chance to be made right with you, Lord, in spite of the mountain of sin that we stand on top of. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And the other part that's good news, Lord, that you say, is this is true for everyone who believes. Don't matter who you are. You come to, Christ, come to the Lord in faith, he will forgive you and be made right. Help us, Lord, through this week as we face the horrors of life and uh, help us to trust you and come along and support one another. In Christ's name, amen.